All right, so Faye, we have a kind of exciting and cool announcement from SMFM that we're hoping to just share with our listeners. Yeah, so SMFM has asked us to let you all know about a survey that they'll be sending out to all SMFM members on Tuesday, October 18th. This survey is actually right up our alley in that it's going to ask about the types of education that you want SMFM to provide, the topics that are most important to you, and how you want those educational activities to be delivered. And Faye, they've actually got some cool incentives part of this too. Yeah, everyone who ends up completing the survey is going to be entered into a drawing to win one of 10 fabulous prizes, um, five of which are free registrations to the annual meeting, and then also five free upgrades to hotel room accommodations. So that's definitely something that uh, I'm going to be looking into because, you know, traveling all the way to San Francisco from where I'm at is not cheap. No kidding. So definitely keep your eye out for the survey coming your way via email on October 18th. And if you're not an SMFM member yet, hint, hint, all you residents out there, get signed up to be an SMFM member. And then the deadline to complete the survey and be eligible for the drawing will be November 1st. So guys, make sure you sign up to be an SMFM member. Look out for that email with the survey and complete it by November 1st. All right, guys, so it's fall again, and I know we're just a few months away from CREOGS. Nick, I'm always looking for places to find good information to make sure that my residents have good information for their exams, and also, you know, I continue to refresh my knowledge of OBGYN. Well, yeah, I mean, you're already listening to what I'll say in my humble opinion is the best podcast in OBGYN, but we also (laughs) have some great other resources available through the resident core curriculum with our friends at the OBG project. Definitely. The nice thing about the OBG project is that not only do they have the resident core, they have an OBG L&D ebook and other things like the second trimester ultrasound atlas, all of which you can access for free as a resident if you sign up. Head over to our website, creagsovercoffee.com, check out the sidebar, and again, get the OBG project and all their resources free for all four years of residency. Just, again, head over to our website, creagsovercoffee.com, and get signed up. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is... Creogs over over coffee. coffee. All right. So we're going to take a step back into our, no, maybe a cobweb accumulating Eurogyne knowledge, Faye. Um, But (laughs) to talk about something that's really important um, and something that I think a lot of people have some discomfort in, and that's to know what to do with asymptomatic microscopic hematuria. So, what are our learning objectives for this? Yeah, I do feel like I'm really, you know, reaching way back there, Nick. Uh, but today we're going to define microscopic hematuria and its significance. We're going to develop a differential diagnosis for microscopic hematuria, and then we're going to evaluate a patient with microscopic hematuria appropriately based on their risk factors. If you want to follow along, you can read Committee Opinion 703, uh, which is titled Asymptomatic Microscopic Hematuria in Women. So let's get this started, Nick. What exactly is microscopic hematuria? So 
In 2012, the American Urologic Association released criteria surrounding the diagnosis of asymptomatic microscopic hematuria and defined it as three or more red blood cells per high power field. Now, we're going to talk later about the updated guidelines from the AUA, um, but just as a start, this diagnosis or this criteria has not changed. So again, three RBCs per high power field defines microscopic hematuria. The AUA guidelines noted that if you found that any patient older than age 35 needed to undergo an evaluation for urologic malignancy, and that evaluation included cystoscopy and an upper urinary tract imaging with a CT urogram. Um, again, the primary concern being urethelial malignancy here. And the data that supported this approach was largely based on male patients. So ACOG and OGS, when they wrote this committee opinion together, put this series of recommendations thinking about the female patient specifically and what the data showed. So as an example of how this can be so different, the committee opinion pointed to a large study where 20% of your analyses performed had microscopic hematuria and other studies pointing to incidences between two and 31%. And if you just like think about that in women at 35 or older, that's a lot of invasive studies. Yeah. And these studies do carry risks, right? I mean, we've talked about radiation and malignancy risk on the podcast before, particularly for our young patients and when we think about exposure to radiation in pregnancy. Um, and so sort of this was the rationale for developing this committee opinion um, and sort of what has come from it since as a preview. So, but Faye, let's talk a little bit more about what microscopic hematuria means and what we should be thinking about in terms of differential and risk factors. Yeah, so ACOG, first of all, points to specimen collection being potentially more challenging in women overall, and that's because hematuria might result from true hematuria, but it can also, that blood can come from other locations. So for example, menstruation, uh, urogenital tract atrophy, pelvic organ prolapse, and other non-threatening urogenital diagnoses. So for example, um, in men, things like prostatic hypertrophy, urethral strictures, etc., which of course are much less common in women. Um, the primary concern with microscopic hematuria, of course, is that urothelial malignancy that you mentioned, Nick. And the main risk factors are one, male sex, another is being over the age of 50, previous or current smoker, gross hematuria, and a history of pelvic radiation. So male sex specifically has 3.3 times more incidences of new cases of bladder cancer compared to female sex. And it's really the fourth most common cancer in men, but it's not even in the top 10 cancers for women. And renal cancer is also 1.7 times more likely in men. So what we're basically saying, Nick, is that, you know, in our population, we're not really not falling into a lot of these risk factors because we're really taking care of, first of all, mostly female sex and mostly patients that are under the age of 50. So then what is reasonable uh, and when is it reasonable to consider screening in women? So studies looking specifically at women have found a urologic malignancy rate in those under 40 years with any level of microscopic hematuria at 0.02% and in patients older than 40 years of 0.4%. So again, kind of thinking about the incidence overall with that as the primary or sole complaint justifying the subsequent workup of cystoscopy and CT urogram is really, really significant. Um, 
Urologic malignancy is actually higher if you use a cutoff in women of 25 red cells per high-powered field or greater. Um, and so kind of in the otherwise low-risk patient, OGS and ACOG actually recommend using that as the cutoff. It's also important to recognize still that smoking does increase that risk, and so it is permissible to consider the patient in a higher-risk category if they are a smoker. Bottom line from ACOG and OGS is that in women older than age 60 with gross hematuria and any history of smoking, they have the highest risk of urologic cancer. And then on the opposite side, the lowest risk patients are never smoking women who are younger than 50 and have fewer than 25 red cells per high powered field. And again, in that population, the risk of urologic cancer is less than 0.5%. Um, so Faye, I teased at the outset of the podcast that, um, after the release of this committee opinion in 2017, in 2020, the American Neurologic Association updated their guidelines. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the big update that they had in 2020 was to incorporate these gender-specific screening pathways, which are helpful to recognize and be aware of. So the first thing that I think can make us all breathe a sigh of relief is that in low-risk women, um, so that's again defined as uh, patients who are less than age 50, they're a never smoker or have less than 10-pack year smoking history, 3 to 10 red blood cells per high power field on one UA, no additional risk factors for urothelial cancer, and no prior episodes of hematuria, um, these patients can actually undergo a repeat urinalysis within six months, um, or they can have the cystoscopy or renal ultrasound. Intermediate risk women, and again, these are women that are a little bit older, so ages 50 to 59, have a 10 to 30 pack year smoking history, have 11 to 25 red blood cells per high power field, one or more risk factors for urothelial cancer, previously low risk or no prior evaluation, um, and 3 to 25 red blood cells per high power field on repeat UA. These are patients that should undergo cystoscopy and renal ultrasound. And then finally, those who are at highest risk, so these are all of our other women that we're thinking about. So those that are 60 or greater have a more than 30 pack year smoking history, have a lot of red blood cells per high power field, have gross hematuria, et cetera. These are the patients that really need to undergo a cystoscopy and that CT urogram. But of course, uh, you want to keep your local urogyne or urologist aware of any patient from whom you have concern based on risk factors to discuss evaluation for urothelial cancers. Um, and of course, we are going to be posting um, an image of this microhematuria evaluation algorithm on our website um, so that you can go and take a look on your own. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of this podcast, which is nice and short, but let's go ahead and summarize for our listeners. Yeah, so again, in 2012, the AUA's guidelines on microscopic hematuria defined it as three red cells per high-powered field. And at that point, recommended an evaluation for patients older than the age of 35, which included cystoscopy and upper urinary tract imaging with a CT urogram. Again, the primary concern here being urothelial malignancy. This data, though, is largely based on male patients. So ACOG and OGS put together a response, again, to reduce the burden of imaging and the potential risks that radiation carries for our youngest patients. 
We also know that uh, for our patients who are mainly women, that hematuria is a little bit difficult to differentiate because there are a lot of other things that can make it look like the patient has microscopic hematuria, things like menstruation, um, urogenital tract atrophy, pelvic organ prolapse, etc. We also know that the primary concern with microscopic hematuria is urothelial malignancy, and our patients tend to fall uh, into lower risk categories. And the big risk factors, especially, are things like male sex. Um, and we also also know that bladder cancer, urothelial cancer is the fourth most common cancer in men, but it's not even in the top 10 cancers for women. Again, when we think about screening in female patients, we want to think about the fact that urologic malignancy is overall low, particularly in low-risk patients, i.e. younger than age 50, fewer than 25 red cells per high-powered field, and non-smokers. That malignancy risk is less than 0.5%. And actually in 2020, the American Urologic Association updated their guidelines to incorporate some of these gender-specific screening risk factors, so that way patients who are considered low-risk can actually undergo repeat urinalysis within six months. Patients who are considered intermediate risk can undergo a cystoscopy and renal ultrasound rather than CT. And then, of course, your patients who fall into that high-risk category get the gold standard evaluation of a cystoscopy alongside a CT urogram. And as always, keep your local urogyne or urologist aware of any patients who you have concerns on, um, and they can help you evaluate whether the patient should undergo a workup as well as be a connection for treatment should you find something. All right, I think that brings us to the end of the podcast today. Once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, go ahead and go into your favorite podcatcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreagsOverCoff1, on Instagram and Facebook at CreagsOverCoffee, or if you love the show, head over to patreon.com slash CreagsOverCoffee, send us some love and we'll send you some swag. You can find show notes for this show and all of our other episodes, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website at www.creagsovercoffee.com. And finally, if you have a question for us, a correction to this or any of our previous episodes, or just want to say hi, email us, craigsovercoffee at gmail.com.